Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Fountain Church Podcast. Our prayer is that God speaks to you in a real and powerful way. So go ahead, grab your Bible, grab a notepad and your coffee, and let's dive in. Happy Mother's Day! Yay! I told Matt, I was like, a couple days ago, I was like, we need to rethink this, like Mother's Day, Father's Day thing. I was like, let me teach Father's Day, kind of give you the day off. Let me teach, you teach Mother's Day, give me the day off. Having that alarm go off at 6 a.m., y'all. That's real. With three kids. Um, Well, I'm excited to dive in with you this morning. We have been in a series entitled uh, Learning from Legends. And uh, the scripture for this series is found in Romans Um, Chapter 15, verse 4, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Well, we're going to continue that series today. Will you guys pray with me this morning? Father, we just invite you in this place, God. Will you come and get me out of the way? Get me out of the way, Jesus, and you be glorified. You be lifted up. Will you speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, um, and have your way in this place? In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. Um, You know, one of the, one of the common themes, I told you the Lord was here. One of the common things, that's how he moves in my life, like just that like heavy presence, it's the best. Um, The Lord has been speaking faith to me a lot over the last couple of months, and um, couple pursuit nights ago, just started being birthed in my heart, and then we go into this series, and then I have the privilege and the honor of delivering the word today, and I definitely don't take that lightly. I know Pastor Matt guards this thing as he should, um, in Jesus' name, Um, but I was excited to come, because when I look at a lot of um, legends in scripture, y'all know what I mean when we say legends, just like these men and women of God who just had this faith that God could do anything. And that's the common thing that we see in, this, um, in these legends is, is faith. Let's look at a couple of them real quick. We see people in scripture that believe God to do the impossible. I love Elijah. If you guys have not just kind of refreshed yourself with Elijah, get back in the Old Testament. You can find, um, you can find just a, a litany of examples of faith when it comes to Elijah's life. And uh, one of the ones that I love is he calls an old school after school rumble. You know, like grade school, probably some high school college. You know what? It happens every age of our life. Sometimes things just get crazy. And he calls like a schoolyard fight. And he, the reason he does this is because the, the people of Israel, they are going from, we love the God of Israel, to, oh, wait, the God of Baal, oh, wait, the God of Israel. And Elijah's like, listen, we're over this. Like, God is the God of Israel, Jehovah, he's the one. And so he calls uh, the 450 Baal pastors, you know, worshipers, and he calls them up, and he was like, listen, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have a, a throwdown. You get a cow, I'll get a cow, you build an altar, I'll build an altar, and let's see whose God shows up. And so not only does he do that, he invites, like, the friends, like, you know what that was like back in the day? Like, hey, listen, there's going to be a fight after school. Like, let's go. Like, he does one of those old school moves, right? And so the entire Israelite assembly comes out, and they're having a showdown. And, uh, he lets the Baal worshipers go first. And long story short, like they, they cry out to their God from morning to night. And Elijah gets a little beast mode. He was like, hey, maybe he's going to the bathroom. Maybe he's sleeping and he just can't hear you yell louder, right? That's something I would do. Like, I would be like, where is he now? Like, 
<laughs> I'd be that person. Um, and nothing happens, right? So he steps to the plate, and he does the same thing. He prepares his offering. He builds his altar. And then he, did, he, he does something like a step further. He digs a trench around the altar. And then he gets four gentlemen, and he's like, hey, get those pitchers of water. Pour the water on the offering. He's like, you know what? That's great. Do that again. So he does it again. You know what? That was awesome. Do that again. So he has them pour, what's the math on that? Four, eight, 12. 12 barrels of water, so much so that it's filling the altar and it filled the trenches. And all he does is he steps back, no show. The Baal worshipers were cutting themselves and like crying out and making just a scene. And he steps back and he was like, God of Israel, will you show these people that you are the one true God? That was it. And fire from heaven comes down, consumes the altar, consumes the, the animal, licks up the water in the trenches. But like, think about that for a minute, the faith that that took. The faith that that took to get, like, not only, like, challenged the 450, but to invite Israel and then to add water. Like, that took a lot of faith. Then we go over to um, Abraham. You have people in Scripture just like Abraham who, who just went off of, like, a single word that God said. Like, hey, take your family, leave your countrymen, leave your father's house, and go to a land I, you do not know. And Abraham, like, okay, cool. Like, some of us, we don't even like moving to, like, the next city over, like Dublin, or we don't like going from Dublin to Pleasanton, or Pleasanton to Livermore, like this is like big deal. And he's like, sure, I'll get my entire family, my livelihood, my animals, and we'll just move because God, you said, right? Then we have other examples uh, in scripture. This woman, she was a widow, she had a son, and Elijah comes up to her and he was like, hey, there was a drought in the land of Israel. And he was like, hey, listen, um, go get me some bread, please. I'm sure he said please. It doesn't say that in scripture, but I think he said please. Like, can you give me some bread, please? And the widow was like, oh, like I would love to, but um, this is our last meal, my son and I, and then we're just gonna prepare to die. And Elijah's response was like, okay, cool. Go home and do that. He was like, but bring me some bread. Um, because, right, that's, that was a pastor. Like a pastor said that. And he said, because the oil that's in your jug and the flour that's in your jug will not run out until the rain comes. Yeah. The widow, like, if, like, just kind of for a minute, like, put yourself in scripture. Like, how many of us would be like, okay, cool, like, yeah, we'll do that. No, a lot of us will excuse conventional wisdom to counteract the faith that God is calling us to step out in. So how many of us have been in that scenario? Like, hey, I want you to step out and do this. Hey, I want you to pray for that person. Hey, I want you to bless that person with a meal or, or some gas in their car. And a lot of times we lean on wisdom. Like, that doesn't make a lot of sense, Lord. I don't have a lot of money. There's not a lot of money in my bank account. And here this woman full of faith was like, okay, you said it. It's going to happen. I'm not going to run out of flour and I'm not going to run out of uh, wine. I mean, not wine, oil. That would be nice. Um, there's another person that I think has a lot of faith, and that is my nephew. For those of you who don't know, I am one of five. There is five of us kids. My brother uh, lives in Colorado. He's one, y'all. Like, his, his life was rough. He was the only boy of, like, four girls. And uh, he, so he moved to Colorado. He was like, I'm out. <laughs> it's 18. Let's go. Uh, he has a beautiful bride. They have seven kids. Okay? Yeah. Um, that's a race. I'm super competitive. That's a race I will not win. <laughs> like, I gave it to him. You know what? Three is solid. Like, we're good. Um, and he had, yeah, so seven kids. And um, my sister-in-law and uh, my parents actually went to go visit him. They went to church one day. 
and they enjoyed the service. It was great. You know, the pastor was wonderful. So, you know, the family wanted to go up and say hello to the pastor, just greet them and pray with him. And, you know, they're dialoguing and they're talking and the pastor singles out my nephew. And he was like, you young man, I want to pray boldness over you. Like boldness over, over you in this generation. And so the family's like, yeah, that's awesome. And so the, the pastor begins to pray and he goes to lay hands on my nephew's head to begin his prayer of boldness. And my nephew pulls like Keanu Reeves' um, matrix. Y'all know that? Like the matrix moves? I would do it for you, but I don't work out. And so I would fall on the floor. But like those moves just to like get out of the way. Like he does not want this pastor to lay hands on him. So he's like moving like all kinds of ways, squirgling, like get out of the way. He is rebuking the prayer. So they get in the car. And everybody's like, it's fine, it's fine, it's totally fine. Like, that was, that's cool, don't worry about it. Nobody says anything. So they go home and they proceed to, like, you know, cook and conversation flows. And finally, somebody's like, bro, what, what happened? Like, why did you do that? And my nephew, he just said, like, his faith was incredible, y'all. He was like, absolutely not. I like my hair. I didn't want that pastor praying baldness over me. <laughs> My nephew's faith was incredible. He was like, man, if that pastor lays hands on me, it's going to happen. He was like, I like my hair. <laughs> oh, man, childlike faith. The theme that we see with a lot of these legends in Scripture is not only do they listen and obey God's word, but it's, equal, it's, it's just as significant, equally as important to hear God's word. My nephew just misconstrued a little bit. He couldn't really hear Romans 10.17 says, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing by what? Hearing the word of God. Hearing produces faith, right? When we're in the scriptures, when we are in Christ-centered community, we are being stirred up in our faith. And the opposite is true. When we are not in Christ-centered community, when we're not in the word, when we are not in scripture, when we're not worshiping, praying, and seeking the, the face of God, the opposite happens, and the opposite of faith is fear, and we start to be plagued by fear. I don't think I have to tell anybody that this, this world is being plagued by fear right now on so many levels. And I don't mean just globally fear. I mean individually. Us are experiencing fear. And um, I, I could struggle with fear. Like if I give ear to the enemy and I lose sight of the Lord, man, fear can grip my heart real good. And it freezes, it hinders what God wants to do in my life and through my life. And so let's look at the world for a second. We're plagued with our, our health right now. Fear has crept in and kind of gripped us a little bit there. We can have fear over our relationships. Right now, so many relationships have been cut and like boom, 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 boom. Our Facebook friends went from 600 to 400. Like we're experiencing just so much pain in our relationships that we're avoiding critical conversations and life-giving conversations. Why? Because we're afraid. We're afraid that we're going to lose some friends. Um, we're experiencing fear over being single. Um, some of us, we can experience fear of being single. And so what happens there is we're not, no longer leaning in and trusting the Lord, but now we've taken matters into our own hands and we begin to, we begin to compromise in what God has called us to. Uh, when it comes to children or our marriage, we're struggling with fear there. So it's hindering us from acting and, and believing and doing what God has called us to do. Our nation, the economy, the world, the future, the last days. I know those have been topics of conversation that has just flooded a lot of people's hearts and minds. And if we're not careful, 
Fear can begin to dictate and control those areas. Sin, you guys, sin will produce fear in our life. But not only that, fear can become irrational. So now all of a sudden we're afraid of these things that they're not even real. Like uh, my husband, kudos, he let our kids watch Deadliest Catch. I don't know if you know what that is. River monsters, that's even worse. (laughs) Even worse. I like those shows. Like those animals, God, you were super creative. Uh, But my kids, my kids are like, oh my gosh, those are weird, you know? And like the fear grips their hearts. So we get them ready for bed last night. Like, all right, guys, go go upstairs, brush your teeth, yada, 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 get your water, go downstairs, whatever. And nobody moves. They're like like by the door, like, um, uh, can you come with me? Can you turn off the TV? And I'm like, listen, stop being irrational. When is a river monster fish in the Amazon going to be in your bedroom? Like, that's just not going to happen. We're never going to find a fish in the refrigerator, like a piranha. Fear can produce irrational thinking. And it's cute, and it's funny when it comes to our kids. Like, we've all experienced that, like running up the stairs, because you think a monster is going to grab you. Was I the only one? I used to be super scared of coming upstairs in the dark. <laughs> now, there is a healthy, like, radar fear, right? Matt talked about a gas gauge yesterday. I mean, last Sunday. It's the same thing. Fear is like a little radar that goes off. I'm not talking about that kind of fear. I'm talking about fear that grips us. Fear that, like, links onto us. And the thing with fear is it has no mercy. It has no gender preference. It's not like only men struggle with fear. Only women struggle with fear. It's not an age group thing. It's not like, hey, once you reach this age or once you're past this age, fear. No, fear has no mercy. It has no boundaries. And fear, you may think like, oh, okay, it's only impacting like one area of my life, maybe two, it's dictating some of my decision making. Man, fear's goal isn't just to stay in one area. And you don't have the ability to confine it to your boundaries. Like you don't have an ability to be like, okay, it's only going to impact me here, but it's not going to impact me over here. No, fear will be all consuming. And now you're going to be living your life from a place of fear and not a place of faith. Does that make sense? Um, Second Timothy tells us that the Lord did not give us a spirit of fear, but of what? Power, love, and a sound mind. So looking today at the world, we can see that, oh my gosh, it's been plagued with fear. Like how attractive are men and women of faith right now? How needed are men and women of faith? How beautiful when we come across men and women of faith who are like full of boldness, full of courage, like, no, absolutely, this is what God said, this is what we're gonna do, let's go forward. Those are the people that you wanna follow, and I know that these are the people that God wants us to be, not people who are plagued by fear. Um, We know that there are some physical effects that fear has on us. Uh, We can briefly go through it, put it on the, the board. You guys know I love it when Matt does my slides, so I get to tell him what to do. I'm like, hey, push the button. I'm just kidding. I don't talk like that. <laughs> Only when I'm hungry, which was yesterday. I'm just kidding. Uh, real quick, fear, it weakens our immune system. It can cause cardiovascular damage, gastrointestinal problems, ulcers, irritable bowel syndrome, decreased fertility. It can lead to accelerated aging and even premature death and memory loss. We know a little bit about what the effects of fear can have on our body, but the cool thing is Forbes came out and they, they, they have a Mayo Clinic study and it says like faith impacts our physical as well. I thought that was really cool. Faith. Most studies have shown that religious involvement and spirituality are associated with better health outcomes, including greater longevity, 
coping skills, health-related quality of life, even when you are terminally ill, uh, less anxiety, less depression, less suicide. Several studies have shown that addressing the spiritual needs of the patient may enhance recovery from illness. So just as much as fear impacts our physical body, faith impacts our physical body too. And the thing about fear is not only is it going to impede on, you know, mental, emotional, physical, uh, spiritual, and now physical, like no wonder the enemy wants to plague us with fear because we can't move. Like, do you, know, you guys know what it feels like when you have like a stomach ache or you just have like this, these physical ailments, like it hinders your quality of life. And so no wonder the enemy is wanting to attack people of faith with the spirit of fear because it enables us from moving. Um, I'm excited. Today, we're going to jump into our text. We're going to find ourselves in the Old Testament in the book of Numbers. We're going to do a little bit of scripture reading, but y'all can roll with me. We're still going to have a great time. Um, we're going to pick up at Numbers chapter 13. Now, this is the Israelites have just experienced being rescued from Egypt, Okay. They have seen God do the 10 plagues. They saw God part the Red Sea, walk across on dry land, crush Pharaoh's army. They have been led by a pillar of uh, fire, by cloud, manna, water in the middle of the desert. They have experienced the life and presence of God in their deliverance from, um, from Egypt. So now they find themselves in Numbers chapter 13. They find themselves um, right at the border. Like Jesus is, uh, God is like, okay, cool. This is your promised land. And so they decide, they decide to send in 10, uh, 12 spies to go and look at the land and just kind of survey it and bring it back. So that's what we're going to pick up, all right? When they reached the Valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. These were not Costco grapes. These were like, and Costco has great grapes, like juicy, sweet, delicious this cluster of grapes, guys, it was massive. It says so big that they tied it to a pole and it was carried between them, along with pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes that the Israelites cut off there. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Like, here's its fruit, right? They see it. They came back with a report. Man, what God said, like, it's real. It's here. We have it. It's here in front of you. Let's continue reading. Pay attention to the but. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, quiet, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. You hear faith, little blurp of faith. But what happens? People of fear, shout them down. Let's continue. Here goes another but. But the men who had gone up with him said, we cannot, like absolutely not, no way attack these people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites lies about the land that they had explored. The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. I can imagine like this setting, the Israelite community, the assembly is sitting down, like listening to the report of the 10 spies. And I'm, I'm wondering, I'm curious, like, man, was their faith stirred up at least when they first gathered? 
because they knew what God had said, like, this is going to be your territory. And then as soon as the 10 spies uh, start to speak, fear starts to be deposited. And I kind of picture it like Moana. Y'all see that Disney movie? You know, and they're telling the little kids about, like, Taka. And the kids are like, bah! And they, like, freak out. I could just picture that that's exactly what they're doing. They're lying and they're exaggerating these points. So point number one, a life of faith lays in the land. A life of fear lies in the land. They lied. We look like grasshoppers to them. The land swallows people up. They started to lie and they started to exaggerate. You know, when I was a kid, um, we had to go clean our room one day. My sisters and I, we shared one room, three of us to a room. And um, they were like, hey, guys, go clean your room. Okay, cool. Three girls in a room. It's going to get pretty messy. So I was like, I'm going to grab some snacks, put a couple of Oreos in my hand and headed to my room. Well, how many of you guys know when you have Oreos and three sisters, like we're not cleaning? No. And so a little while later, our parents call us out of the room and they're like, hey, guys, how's the cleaning going? Oh, it's going great. Really? Yeah, yeah, we're almost done. It looks really good. Oh, okay. Mm hmm, mm hmm. Um, are you guys eating anything? No. <laughs> you told us to go clean our room. We're not eating. Are you sure? Yeah, my dad's like an FBI agent, or he should have been. He just like was grilling. And I was like, no, dad, we're not. We're, we're cleaning. We're doing what you said. No Oreos, huh? You know, in that moment, you're like, mm, how does he know it's Oreos? <laughs> How do you know? <laughs> no, no Oreos, Dad. We're cleaning our room. We're doing what you said. And he was like, okay, well, on your way back to the room, can you stop off at the bathroom and clean the black stuff off your teeth? <laughs> you guys, that's messed up. <laughs> See, we lie. Why? Because of the fear of the unknown. We lie because ah, oh, we don't know what's around the corner. And so when fear becomes our, our filter, when fear become, becomes like what we're seeing, we're terrified. And the Israelites started to lie. They started to exaggerate. And when you're terrified, you have no rest. Like rest can't take place in that space. Why, why, did, why did they start to lie? I think because they stopped. They stopped looking through the lens of God's faithfulness. They stopped looking through the lens of God's goodness. They stopped looking through the lens of uh, God's provision in the midst of the desert, of the miracles that God had done. Let's keep in mind, guys, this wasn't years later that they got to the promised land. This was days ago. How quickly we could forget what God has done in our lives when we allow fear to become our filter. So when we do that, when our filter changes to fear, we begin to glorify our perception rather than God's provision. We begin to glorify what we're seeing with our own human eyes, and we put more weight on what we're seeing than on more weight on what God has said. And so instead of acting out in obedience to God's promises and faithfulness, we start to be hindered, and we can't move. Let me say it this way. When our fear is our filter, it will distort our perception and keep us from seeing God's provision even when we're holding the fruit in our hands. Even when we're holding the promises in our hands. We can begin to forget. And that's how deceptive fear can be. When you can't see provision, you can't lay and rest. 
I love Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul and he leads me along the right paths for his namesake. It says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You notice that the Lord is guiding us along the right paths, but we're still gonna go through the valley. Like we are following Jesus, but the valley is still there. But even in the valley, when your faith is on, when, when, when you have a filter of faith, your eyes are on the Lord, and you, the rod and staff, they comfort you in the valley. And when you don't have faith as your filter and it's fear, you are not comforted. You are, there is no rest. There is no peace. And we begin to lie and exaggerate. Does that make sense? All right. Let's keep reading. That night, all the members of the company, this is Numbers 14, verse 1, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. That leads me to point number two this morning. A life of faith motivates those around them, and a life of fear brings others down. The Israelite community was mourning. They were weeping. They had been swayed by 10 people that this is not going to go down. Like, yep, God did all of that, but we're not remembering what God had done. It, like, his provision stopped here. And they were able to sway so many people because of their fear. And so I just want to leave you with two things here real quick. You are influential and you have somebody's ear. Like, where are you leading people? Are you fueling someone's faith or are you fueling someone's fear? And then the same is true on the other end. Someone has your ear. Like, are you being fueled and pushed into an area of being uncomfortable, an area of faith, or are we just listening to fear and we're trapping ourselves so that we can't move? Like, even this little, like, head thing right here. Somebody asked me this morning, one of our sound guys, like, hey, do you want a mic or do you want this? And I was like, I'm comfortable with the mic. And he was like, well, then the headset it is. <laughs> All right. Like... You, you got it. Let's be uncomfortable. Why? We want to be uncomfortable because it causes us to step out and trust God because he catches us every single time. All right, let's keep rolling. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Now the Israelite people are angry. They are so mad. They grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly and said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Do you see? Do you see how they just don't remember? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Like the extreme, the extreme thing that fear causes us to fear. Oh, it's, it, it, it doesn't just stay like shallow. He goes deep. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe me? In spite of all the signs I performed among them. God's like, seriously, that leads me to number three this morning. A life of faith remembers and expresses gratitude and a life of fear forgets and treats God with contempt. Oh, when we are filled with faith, the gratitude that comes with that, why? Because we remember. I remember what you did. I remember you, like you showed up when I didn't think you were. It produces a gratitude in our heart towards the Father because we know he's for us. Fear, fear does forget. And what did fear do here? It caused Israel to forget the provision 
It caused Israel to forget God's faithfulness. It caused Israel to forget God's miracles. Remember, we just listed all of them. And it caused Israel to to forget God's covenant, God's promise. Like, this is your land. It was signed, sealed, delivered. The land's yours. Not only were they experiencing those miracles from just a few days ago, they they were experiencing miracles like that morning. Like manna was raining down from heaven on them that morning as they left to go and spy out the land. They had the cloud. They had the fire. Like these weren't things that were done even just a week ago. Okay, cool. Maybe I can give that to you. You forgot after a week. No, it was like eight hours ago that they were experienced the manifest, like the presence of God being delivered to them in the pillar of fire and cloud and manna. Sometimes, you guys, if fear grips our hearts, we will forget the very presence of God that we're dwelling in because we won't be able to see it because we're so plagued by a spirit of fear. I know some of us are in a difficult season and I know some of us, you know, man, life has been just probably hard. And, and it can, it can be hard to remember the things that God has done. And in moments like that, I just, I encourage you guys to, to look to the cross. Look to what God has done. Look to his faithfulness and provision in the cross and look to the breath in your body. Like there is purpose. There is a plan for you. And God has so much in store for you. So what happens after this? Um, when Israel forgets, it leads us to a place of, of grumbling and complaining, right? We get like, oh, why did you bring me here? Why am I here? We're grumbling and complaining against God, not even the circumstance, which puts us in place of, which puts, puts us in a place to hold God in contempt. And what does that mean? Contempt means the feeling that a person or a thing is beneath consideration, worthless, or deserving scorn. We put God in that place because we're mad at him for leading us to a place that we shouldn't be in because we lost sight. And when we call God, when we start to grumble and complain and it leads us to to a place of contentment against the Lord, what does that do? It leads us to a place of rebellion with the Lord. Why? Because I don't trust Jesus. I don't trust God you're gonna see me through. And so instead of stepping into the promises that God has already laid out before us, what are we wanting to do? We're wanting to go in the opposite direction. And anytime we go in the opposite direction of what God has called us to, it's sin, it's disobedience. And I would love it. I would love for fear to be a good excuse to disobey God, but it's not. Like fear is never a great reason to be disobedient to the Lord. Wouldn't that be amazing? God, I was just scared. No, like, that's not a good reason for us to not listen and give ear to the Lord. And whenever we rebel against the Father and rebel against what he's called us to, we are headed to destruction because it's not, it's not what God has in store and it's not God's best for us. Amen? Amen. Can, I, can I charge this? It's a little, it's a little dead. I'm just going to move over here, guys. Um, our next slide... Um, we're going to dive back into and finish the story here and lead us to our last point. Um, we're going to be in numbers. I got it. Technical problems. They're real. All right, let's jump in. So go ahead. Told you I get to tell them what to do. 
<laughs> I'm totally kidding. Totally kidding. <laughs> when Moses reported this to all the Israelites, they mourned bitterly. So Moses tells the Israelites what the Lord said. Like, hey, listen, you're not going to enter the promised land this go around. There's going to be some consequences to your lack of obedience. There's going to be consequences to your rebellion. There's going to be consequences to your fear, your grumbling, and your complaining. So when Moses reported this to the Israelites, they mourned bitterly. Early the next morning, they set out from the highest point in the hill country saying, okay, we're ready to go. Anybody ever do that? Like when you're fighting, like with your spouse or somebody like, oh, yeah, 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 you're right, you're right, you're right. Okay, I'm ready. Like I do that all the time. Now we're ready to go up to the land the Lord promised. Surely we have sinned. But Moses said, why are you disobeying the Lord's command? This won't succeed. Do not go up because the Lord is not with you. You will be defeated by your enemies and the, for the Amalekites and the Canaanites will face you there. You can keep going. Because you have turned away from the Lord, he will not be with you, and you will fall by the sword. Nevertheless, in their presumption, in their own filter, in their own perspective, in their own way of looking at things, they went up toward the highest point in the hill country, uh, though neither Moses nor the Ark of the Lord's Covenant moved from the camp. The Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country, they were there. They came down, attacked them, and beat them down all the way to Hormah. Uh, that leads me to my next point, guys. A life of faith takes new territory, and a life of fear is filled with regret. Oh, I know we have all experienced regret. I've experienced regret. I've re experienced regret every way, shape, and form for just, you know, different reasons. Uh, Matt has shared with you guys uh, a couple of times, you know, we had that opportunity during that little, like, slump in the, the market here in the Bay Area in 08 to buy that townhouse for, like, 100 or something thousand, 300,000, I don't remember. Um, but we had just short-sold our house. We had just had to um, take a hit financially where, you know, we weren't, uh, we had to sell it lower than what it was worth. And so when it came time and he was looking, I was the one that was like, absolutely not. no. Nope, nope, nope. Like, we are not going to buy. It's not safe. It doesn't make sense. The economy is going to keep going down. The housing market's going to keep going down. Like, we're going to be upside down again. I allowed fear to dictate my decision instead of moving boldly with faith and courage. That, Man, Lord, this is what you're saying. This is what you're speaking to my husband. And so you don't have to... You know, it doesn't take a rocket science to figure it out. We didn't, we didn't buy the townhouse. And now every time I drive down the street and I see that $700,000 townhome... <laughs> The regret that grips my heart. <laughs> uh, <laughs> why didn't I say yes? Fear will always bring regret. Because we're not taking territory. I'm, I'm talking about physical territory in this place, but spiritual territory is what God, God has called us to take as well. Like you will never regret like just intimacy and walking close with the Lord. You will never regret obeying the whisper. You will never regret like being used in somebody else's life, yeah. taking that territory spiritually that God has called us to take. You know, the Israelites were beat back to uh, the town called, called uh, Horma. And in Hebrew, what that means is harem. And the word harem means um, devoted to destruction. Ladies and gentlemen, if fear is our filter... We are devoted to destruction because we will not be moving forward in the promises and covenant that the Lord has made with us. We'll be moving in the opposite direction. 
And the enemy is going to want us to fear the Lord. He's going to want it to breed distrust with the Lord. He's going to want to taint God's character. Listen, that's not the Lord. The Lord is good. The Lord is great. The Lord is merciful. The Lord is for you. He's a good father. But if the enemy can cause us to look at God's character and lower it to our own understanding and our own viewpoint, we will not trust the Lord. And our filter will no longer be faith, but it'll be a filter of fear. You notice when the Israelites came back to the promised land 40 years later, it's not like Jesus helicoptered in millions of people and just kind of lifted them up and put them in the land and all the enemies were gone, the Amalekites and the Canaanites. Like, that's not what God did. God brought them back 40 years later to the same exact place. Like God brought them back and the war still had to be fought. The walls still had to come down. The fortified cities still had to be taken because God will never let you skip a lesson. God will not let you skip a lesson. The lesson of faith that is in front of you right now, you can choose to not step in faith for that lesson. You can choose to go in the opposite direction and years are gonna go by. God let the Israelites wander in the desert for 40 years. They married, they ate, they laughed, they played card games. They had a wonderful time. But they were in the same place for 40 years. And they had to come back to the same exact place 40 years later. And they had to fight the same wars 40 years later. And the same is true for us. God will let us go on and God will let us do what we do, but he will not let us skip that lesson. So you're going to come back to that same place. And it's, it's going to be the same step of faith that God has called you to step in. So how do we start living a life of faith? Like, how do we do that? We know that fear is ugly. Fear is mean. It's not cool. Like, when fear grips my heart, like, it's, it's crippling. And it can hinder me from moving. It can hinder me from responding to what God is saying. So how do we become people of faith? I want to dive into uh, this woman named Hannah in uh, the Old Testament. We're going to find her story in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1. So Hannah was married to this wonderful man named Elkna, and he had two wives, Penina and Hannah. Listen, Matt will give you the dissertation on that. Uh, two wives, I'm not even going to go there, but Elkna had two wives. Penina, Penina, she was able to have children, and Hannah was not. Um, and because of that, Penina treated her like awful, like so bad. The scripture just says she mocked her and poked her and just jabbed her in the wound that Hannah had. Um, Elkna would take his family up to Shiloh once a year for um, sacrifice and for worship. And that's what we're going to pick up in the story today. So it went on year by year. As often as she went to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkna, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than 10 sons? We could pause right here. Elkna loved his wife. It just, you know, sometimes wisdom would be, would be cool right here for Elkna to understand, like, his wife is grieving. There's some pain here. Am I not worth more to you than 10 sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. 
And she vowed a vow and said, oh, Lord of hosts. I love this. I love that she says, oh, Lord of hosts. That title for the Lord was given 260 times in the Old Testament. And what that phrasing means is Lord of the mighty armies. She was becoming, she was coming before the Lord of the mighty armies. Why? Because she was attacked. And she knew that God was her protector. Like, I just, I love that. Um... If you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give, it, give to your servant a son, then I'll, go, I'll give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. Let's continue. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. So Eli took her to be a drunken woman and Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. Listen, pastors mess up too. Okay, that's what you could garner from that scripture. Eli straight up judged her, thought she was a drunk woman, and she's really like pouring her heart out before the Lord. And so grace your pastors, okay? Uh, but Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Eli said, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. First point I want to make in living a life of faith is faith abides. Faith abides in the house. I love this picture of Hannah. And what what does abide mean? Abide means to make your home in. I love it. Hannah showed up. It says year after year, Hannah showed up. Being at church, being in the house of God wasn't an option for her. She was persistent in the midst of her adversity. She didn't let anything hold her back from the house of God. Like, like check this out, you guys. She drove to church with the woman who mocked her. She rode in the same car with the woman who was jabbing her. And nothing can keep her away from the house of the Lord. Her faith was abiding in God and no situation and no circumstance would keep her from the house of God. And I want us to have a faith that is that strong. She had been crying out to the Lord for years for a baby. And that didn't keep her from coming to the house of the Lord. Years of unanswered prayers And she was still persistent, still going to the source, still going to the one who can make that happen. Today, I want us to posture ourselves like Hannah, to posture ourselves to abide in the house. I have a question for you this morning. What's keeping you from abiding in the house? What's keeping you from abiding in the house? Is it people, circumstances, unanswered prayers, presumptions. Number two, uh, faith moves. I love this. Eli told her, go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. What did Hannah do? She got up and ate and drank. Y'all know when you're like, oh, anxiety or oh, like you're just, the struggle is real to eat is pretty hard. For me, it's not. I don't know what that feels like. Like when I'm like stressed, (laughs) when I'm stressed, like 
Uh, food could be real good, like some bread with some olive oil and like balsamic, just dip and mm, just dip and eat. That comfort food. But for Hannah, Hannah, she couldn't eat. If you read, if you notice earlier in the scripture, they would go and they would break bread and Elkna would give her a double portion because he loved her and she could not partake of the food at the table because she was so hurt and she was so just anxiety and vexed over her inability to have children, but, but also because Penina, Penina would keep poking her and keep, keep that wound open. And when Eli spoke that, what happened? It moved her from contending to resting like that. It moved her from desperation to satisfaction like that. It moved her from weeping to joy like that. How do you know? Because it said instantly her countenance changed. Instantly. Like faith didn't kick in once she got pregnant. Faith was there before there was even a sign, the opportunity to get pregnant. She believed it. She received the word with the fullness of faith. And ladies and gentlemen, in order for us to receive the gifts that God has for us, we have to receive it with the assurance of faith. God, you said it, it's done. The confidence that comes, it's done. Like when we're up here singing these worship songs, you see me moving like crazy? Listen, I'm not crazy. Sometimes I am, but I'm moving because I'm like, oh, it's a reminder. It is a reminder of what God has done. It's a reminder of what God is capable of. It's a reminder. Jesus, when you did that, what can you do for me, in me, through me? I'm filled with boldness. I'm filled with courage because it's not me, it's the Lord. It's not me, it's the Lord of the armies of heaven. My circumstance pales in comparison to the bigness and the grandness of who our God is. And so to stand in faith, to sing those songs and remind us like, yes, Lord, yes, you did do that. You did part the Red Sea. Yes, you did do that. You rescued me out of Egypt. I haven't been there physically, but my heart has been in Egypt. My heart has been broken. My heart has been bound. My heart has been chained up. God, you set me free. You restored me. And her faith moved her. Her faith moved her to the table so she could eat. And lastly, faith stewards. I love this and I'm done. Faith stewards. You know, Elkna was from the tribe of Levi. And Levi, if you were a Levite, you were all already dedicated to the Lord. You already belonged to him. That tribe belonged to the Lord. So all Hannah did was take what belonged to the Lord and gave it right back to him. She had a baby. And she said, Lord, this baby is yours. It was already God's to begin with. And she just gave it right back to him. She stewarded her faith. And so this morning, I I have a question for you. What has God given you that you need to give back to God? What area in your life do you need to give back to the Lord? You know, Samuel, he goes on and phenomenal, amazing prophet used to speak to kings, King David. And God used his life miraculously 
And I know that God wants to use us and speak to us and through us miraculously. But will we steward the faith that God has given us? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us here at Fountain Church. For more details on how to get connected, visit us at fountainchurch.cc. We're also on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. We'll see you next time.